It's good to have everyone out today. We have several visitors. We're glad that you're here. We invite you back at any opportunity that you have to be with us. Very encouraged by your presence. <clears throat> As I was preparing this lesson, a group of guys, we got together, and uh, if you've ever spoke publicly in school or work or such as this, you know that you start gathering details, you start putting points together, and I was lucky enough to be told I was, well, I kind of volunteered for patients, but uh, I got to handle patients throughout the holiday season. So I start my lesson, I start putting points together, and then I find myself in Lexington at the mall. And it's almost like you've seen the cartoon with the devil on one side and the angel on the other. Well, it was like I carried this little guy of patience on my side. Like everything that happened, you know, I'm doing a lesson about patience, so I have to control myself. So going through the whole weeks before that, I uh, found myself traveling to Alabama to visit time with the family. And again, traveling, patience. You're driving down 65 through Nashville, you have to have patience. When I got there, we decided to go eat breakfast at Cracker Barrel, one of the busiest times. So, again, we're waiting on breakfast, and we got to talk about patience across the table as I'm waiting for my pancakes. So, I know for the other guys as well, this has been uh, one of the most influential lessons that I have ever done, because... Seems like preparing it, it was all in my mind continually. So I know this study has helped me, and I hope that something I say today will help you in your walk with God, walking worthy. This morning I will actually be using the book of James. We will uh, we'll start with our verse that we have been talking about, Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. But this morning I will actually be taking a section from the book of James for our main thoughts of our lesson. When you talk about practical Christianity, I think you have to think in your mind about how many times we see a list of things like we're studying this weekend. We know in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, we have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4, or read verses 1 through 3, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We also, in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, we see a list that says, True, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirably. You can also turn, as has been mentioned Friday night and yesterday, to Colossians chapter 3, about some things that we're supposed to be clothed with. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 15. 
It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive them as the Lord forgave you. These attributes or characteristics are things that every one of us can and should use every day. We can't wake up on Monday morning and say, hey, today I'm, today I'm not going to be gentle. Tomorrow I think I'll just take off patience. No patience on Tuesday. Mitchell used the analogy of the baby hungry. When the baby cries and the baby's hungry, can you just say, well, I'll feed it in a few hours? The baby is not really born knowing that, hey, I'll just be quiet until he's ready to give me food. He continually cries or she continually cries until you feed her or him. It takes work and it takes efforts. We're not born with any of these qualities that we're talking about. We're not born with any of these attributes, characteristics. It takes effort every day, but these things will help us in life to live a better life that will bring us closer as a people and as a church working together as brothers and sisters in Christ to help each other get to heaven, which is our ultimate goal. This weekend with this studies, I think we're getting down to kind of the nuts and bolts of what we're supposed to be as Christians. A quote from Josh McKibben, We are not citizens of earth trying to get to heaven. Rather, we are citizens of heaven trying to get to earth, or trying to get through earth. It's a very busy world that we live in. We all travel to and from work. We... uh, Travel on vacation, we travel places, and oftentimes you catch yourself in a situation like this one. This one is actually, if you've ever traveled Highway 280 and right outside of Birmingham, Alabama, that's where this picture was taken. It's like this continually. You may also be this person. You're either the one behind or you're the one in front. You've got someone traveling behind you that's trying to pass you, flashing their lights blowing their horn, what do you do in that situation? What do you do if you're the person that's trying to pass, that's swerving all over the road, blinking their lights, blowing their horn? Or if you're in Russell County and you're going to work, this is more likely what you're going to get behind. You're in a hurry and you're behind a combine that takes up the whole road and you just have to wait. He goes where he wants to go. These are all trials that we have to go through. Maybe this is your work life. Maybe there's so much stress at your job that you just don't know what to do. Workplace, oftentimes, uh, they expect a whole lot out of you and don't give you a whole lot of time to do those, so you have to prioritize. Maybe your family life looks a lot like this. You have the terrible twos, you have teenagers, you uh, pull in one way or the other, it's just a continual battle. What do you do with those situations? 
Or maybe you have family, friends, loved ones, maybe yourself going through some type of sickness. Sickness brings a challenge to your peace of mind every day. And James, I believe, is going to help us take a little bit different view on some of these things. He talks about something that's going to help us with a lot of these problems when he talks about patience. <clears throat> Certainly one of those things that's easier said than done. There's, uh, I definitely did not write the book on patience, so I'm speaking from God's Word, and I hope the things that I say will be an encouragement to you. <clears throat> But I think a lot of times when we think about patience, we uh, kind of think of it as just wait, wait, wait. But this morning I'd like to uh, dig a little bit deeper into what patience actually is, what James is talking about, and it, it kind of contains enduring. We have to endure. You know, when we become a Christian, we face problems. We, uh, they often come into our lives. And the first thing we need to talk about is some things that often people believe when you become a Christian. And that's number one, when you become a Christian, you don't have any problems. All your problems go away. It's just, here's, I'm a Christian, I have no more problems. The second thing, becoming a Christian is going to solve all my problems. When I become a Christian, problems just disappear. Well, we all know that that's not true. We read in the New Testament Scripture that a lot of times those first century Christians, they dealt with a lot of problems. The people in other nations today deal with a lot of problems because of Christianity. Oftentimes it's the end of life. Great suffering for those that chose to follow Christ. But I think that these people learned what all Christianity was about. They learned what was important. This morning, let's read James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. James 5, 7 through 12. It says, Be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen that what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. First thing James talks about is he's telling these people to do this until the Lord comes. This is pretty important to him because he mentions it in three different verses. Verses 7, 8, and 9. Verse 7, he says, be patient until the Lord's coming. 
Number or verse eight says the Lord's coming is near. In verse nine, the judge is standing at the door. There's definitely an immediacy about this. He's telling them to be patient because the Lord is coming. When we consider this verse, though, we can say, wait just a minute, James. This was wrote a long time ago. What did he mean? Was he wrong? Was he lying to these people? The Lord's not really going to come? No, I think we know he meant something else. We know that from the time Christ came to this earth and walked among men, he was arrested, he was tried, he was crucified on the cross, he arose from the dead, he went back and sat at the right hand of God, and from that day forward, Christ's return is imminent. Every second of every minute of every day, there's a possibility of the Lord's return. And I believe this is the idea that he's talking about. We have to continually be prepared for Christ's return. The second thought that could be brought out of this is the fact that the judgment of the Lord can be brought down on a nation or a people by some other force. We know the verses prior to this was a warning to the rich oppressing people. They were not paying the workers for mowing their fields. So James is telling them either way, they have to be patient. Just wait on the Lord. It goes for us today. James is telling us that we need patience. But as I said earlier, I think he's going a little bit deeper than just patience. It's a little bit more than waiting in line at the grocery store. It's a little bit more than when you go through Walmart and there's only one cash register open. And it's a little bit uh, more than just waiting at the restaurant on your food. Of course, all these are important, and at that time, that may be when you're tempted the most. But I think it's more of an endurance through things and some characteristics of what patience actually looks like. Definition of patience, the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting upset. We look back to the beginning of the book of James. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The New King James Version says produces patience. So patience is a continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failures, or oppositions. I think we can say that's something that we need. We need to learn patience, the value of it. I think it can teach us so many lessons in life. It helps us to mature. When we have patience to endure the most difficult circumstances. 
As was mentioned last night, I believe this is another topic, subject, attribute, characteristic that the world we live in thinks of it as a weakness. The world we live in thinks that when something happens to us, we need to lash out. We need to really get back to one, at one that would want to take us on. But patient endurance has a different attitude about that. We have to learn to endure what Satan is throwing in our path. The problems that come into our lives by time, by chance. We have to learn patience. Two things that go along with patience that James says is do not complain. Do not grumble. Definition of grumble. To murmur or mutter in discontent, sullenly to utter low indistinct sounds, to growl or to rumble. So I got to looking at that word sullenly. I was like, what in the world does that mean? Sullenly means showing irritation or ill humor by gloomy silence or reserve. This really hit home to me. And through the holiday season, I caught myself trying to stop some of the things that I'd done before. How often do I grumble without saying a word? Shaking my head at someone's actions or statements before they're even finished speaking them. Rolling my eyes. Talking under my breath. I think you'd say it happens. It happens here among us. Happens outside the building. Couple instances. Have you ever sat in a Bible class and someone made a comment that you didn't quite listen to, you didn't quite agree with, but then you kind of mumble under your breath, can't believe what he just said. Can't believe we're singing that song again. Not really saying it out loud, but thinking it. Maybe a men's business meeting. Business meetings, uh, kind of a thorn in my side, but we have to do them. Comments go on. Do I like what's going on and do I make a motion or something in a grumbling, complaining way, but not ever even say anything? Maybe the women are discussing the best way to prepare meals for the sick and I don't like the idea that pops in their head or they come out with and I may not say a word, but an action that I do is a complaint. How patient are we? James says if we complain, the judge stands at the door. We will be held accountable for the things that we say or that we do when going through these situations. Well, Brandon's going through a hard time. I'm just going to give him an excuse on what he says or does when this hard time comes up on him. When someone says something that he don't agree with, he don't have the patience to think about it, lashes out, we'll just give him a pass on that. No, that's, that's not going to happen. Patience doesn't accuse or make rash or harsh judgments against others. It learns to deal with things, to control our temper, to control our thoughts, so we're not complaining. Almost like self-control. A Christian is not someone that goes through life spending their time complaining about everything that's happening to them. 
blaming others. That's just not the picture of a disciple. That's not what we see. Skip on down a few verses, and James says, do not swear. Read verse 12 again. It says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. I don't think that he's talking about using foul language here. I think he uh, there's ample amount of verses throughout the Bible that's Talks about that. But I think he's talking about rash promises. God, if you'll help me out of this, I'll do this. God, if you'll do this for me, then I will never do this again. The spur of the moment, just the whole mindset of bargaining with God at an immediate trial or situation. I'm not saying don't pray to God and ask for him to help you. I'm saying this more of an immediate reaction to a trial and a bargain with God. I think if we turn to Judges chapter 11, we will see a biblical example of this very thing taking place. Judges chapter 11. We all know the story. The story of Jephthah. We go into the story of Jephthah. Jephthah's back and forth with messages from the king of the Ammonites. The king of the Ammonites were mad, was mad because the children of Israel had come up from Egypt and had taken away his land. Even though this was time before he was king, but he was mad about this. He was upset. And Jephthah tried to reason with him, but that just wouldn't happen. The king of the Ammonites, his mind was set. He was going to war. Whether Jephthah liked it or not, he was going to war. So we'll pick up in verse 29 of that chapter. Chapter 11, verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord... If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated twenty towns from Aurora to the vicinity of Mineth, as far as Abel, Karim, Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? Dancing to the sounds of the trembles, she was an only child. We know how the story goes. Rash promises in the stress of great battles causes problems. So I think that's why James is saying, do not swear. Then James gives us a few examples. He starts with the farmer. Verse 7, James chapter 5, verse 7. 
says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. I think this illustration is somewhat lost today. I know there's several people in the audience that have experienced some type of farming in their life. Do it now, done it as in times past. But I think the younger generations, some of them may not understand living a life that your livelihood is dependent on whether it rains or not. Whether it continually rains for weeks, whether it doesn't rain for weeks, whether the heat is so hot that it burns the plants. The farmer puts all of his efforts, all of his time, all of his money in the crop, and he patiently waits weeks and months to see the crops grow. Can't make it rain. Can't make it stop raining. And the farmer understands that he or she is not in control. Have to patiently wait. Patiently wait on the crops to grow. We know the people back in this time, that was one of the main livelihoods that they had was farming. And I think that's why he uses this illustration first, that this was something that was real to those people. They could see it and see the effect of it. He mentions the prophets. If you go back and look at the lives of the prophets in the Old Testament, what these people went through, it's amazing. It's amazing that the, the trials, the temptations, the, the abuse that these men went through. Take Jeremiah, for instance, all that he went through. He was rejected. He was cast into a pit, left to die. And all of these things because he was speaking the word of the Lord against rulers who did not want to hear it. Listen to the prophets and their patience. Hebrews chapter 11, a list of people that we all know is the great faith chapter. Think about that list of people. If you're there, we'll read verses 32 through 38. Hebrews 11, 32 through 38. It says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in the battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, they were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them, 
They wandered in the deserts, the mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they may be made perfect. These people went through a lot and didn't get to see the effects of it. They patiently endured through situations that we can't even imagine, but didn't get to see what they were working for. He mentions Job. You'll turn over to Job. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 13. Job chapter 1 verse 13. It says, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the savings raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, he killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, still another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from a mother's womb, and naked I shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Flip over one chapter, Job chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful bulls from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. I guess when we think about patience, we think about Job. He becomes the standard. For a man that lost everything, he lost all of his children, every possession. Finally, he lost his own health but would not turn his back on God. Oh, he didn't understand. If we can go through the book of Job, we see that he questioned why these things were happening to him. He went to people, and those people gave him advice. But still, he never turned his back on God. Job was patient. Job endured, 
And then in the end, God restored all that he had lost. It's so easy in this life to say, look what I'm going through. Look what I have to do. Look what I have to suffer. We can make everything that happens to us so big and think that no one else ever goes through those things. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we have a picture of Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. No matter what we're going through, if you're patient, there will be a way out. Discussing Paul, if there's ever been a man that was ready for the Lord's return, I would say we could say that would be Paul. He endured to the end, apparently even being executed for what he believed in. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 14. says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul defines himself on who he is in Christ, not based on the circumstances that he lives in. His attitude, his character, his example was seen by all those in the palace guard. And the brothers and sisters in Christ were encouraged by the things that Paul went through and his attitude as he was going through this. What trials, tribulations, and suffering should do to us is not push us away from God, but bring us closer to Him. And it should make us desire His return. That becomes more meaningful than anything. Christ returning and me being ready for that return. I think James is teaching us a great lesson here about patience. Waiting on the Lord. One final verse, if you'll read 1 Timothy, or look to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. We have ended all of our lessons talking about Jesus Christ. And I think this verse throws out something that we need to consider. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 16. It says, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show all longsuffering, As a pattern to those, I think I'm in the wrong verse. No, that's right. Sorry. 
However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me, first Jesus, Christ Jesus, might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him for everlasting life. God and Christ's patience and allowing time to continue long enough to allow those to choose to obey and faithfully live a life dedicated to Him. We've already talked that the judge stands at the door. We know that we have to be prepared because Christ is going to return. But Christ's patience is waiting on those of us here in this audience, those are friends and family, that have not obeyed Christ yet. You have that opportunity because Christ, God, shows the greatest patience of all. I hope that this lesson has contained something that might help you with your walk in patience and to help you walk worthy of the calling. At this time, we're going to be dismissed for a few minutes, and then we'll meet back out into the auditorium. Thank you for your attention.